Good afternoon, everybody. This is Jeff J. Brown in Normandy on the D-Day beaches. And today I have a, a very special guest. I've never had a presidential candidate on the show today, but uh, today I have uh, Emmanuel Pastreich. How are you doing? Emmanuel? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, I don't. We, I think you and I got in touch with each other through Substack because you and I both do Substack, and um, you made a comment on my mine, or I made a comment on yours, and we connected. And I, I said, my gosh, Asia, and uh, uh, someone that has a lot of experience in the region, and and has 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 an has an, has an interesting uh, CV uh, for um, political office. And so I thought, what the heck? Let's see what's going on here. So uh, anyway, uh, Emmanuel, just tell us a little about yourself and your background, um, um, and and as, as as much as much as you'd like, or as little as you'd like. All right. Well, I'm really honored to have this opportunity, Jeff, and uh, uh, to speak with with everyone out there and say, uh, you know, this is not about the two two of us. It's about uh, uh, all of us together, imagining what the United States uh, can be and. Uh, especially about Asia. Uh, I mean, China, of course, I, I was originally a Chinese major at Yale, and uh, I spent a year in Taiwan, and I, I write, and I, I'm reading and talking in Chinese all the time. Um, after I graduated from college, I went to Japan, uh, where I uh, got my master's degree, and then I decided, tended towards being a professor, although I'm not one anymore. Uh, and uh, I then uh, started Korean when I was at Harvard for my PhD. I uh, went to Korea and ended up, I married a Korean. I lived there for, uh, uh, I guess, about 14 years of my life. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, that's, th this interest in Asia was not, uh, it wasn't a romantic uh, or uh, uh indulgent uh, interest in the uh, exotic East. It was a sense that uh, America's future was with Asia and that we would need to have people, I wanted to be like that, uh, who actually knew that part of the world. Uh, and later on, when I started to think about politics, that was really, I wanted that to be my selling point, right? To say, uh, I, I mean, I didn't start thinking about being a politician. In fact, I don't really not very fond of politicians myself, but it's a it's a means of expression and going forward. Uh, I was thinking earlier when I was at the University of Illinois, so I taught Japanese literature at University of Illinois for eight years and then two years at George Washington University. Um, and during that time, I became very interested in how universities are run, which was linked to how the United States is run. And I became profoundly aware of two things. One was the degree to which the system is falling apart, that our thinking is fuzzy, our education system no longer educates, uh, government no longer serves the role of government, and, and corporations have been infected with this, this virus, right? This uh, uh, mind-numbing, uh, short-term profit-seeking uh, mentality. And so, uh, at University of Illinois, it was already this already back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, right? And we're talking 1999, 2000. Uh, really started to feel that we had to work with Asia seriously, take Asia seriously as a as a partner, not to assume that Asia is entirely um, benign. That we have to be aware that you know there's evil and there's corruption everywhere. Uh, but we really, as Americans, have to understand 
this enormous geopolitical shift. Asia is a center, not just in technology, not just in education, but increasingly in, in culture and civilization and values. And so we need to know Asia well uh, to be able to uh, understand the languages and to engage. All right. Well, tell us about the Asia Institute. I got on and looked looked at it a little bit, and that's obviously your um, uh, your um, baby because you are the president. Uh, tell us about it. When you know who are the people involved? What is its mission? I noticed you mentioned you you have a, a sort of like a, an homage to a a, a person uh, mm. on the front page. Just tell us a little bit about the Asia Institute and and right. uh, and and what you what it does. Right. Well, the, the Asia Institute, uh, when I ended up in Korea in 2007, when I basically could no longer do anything in D.C., um, we put together this Asia Institute, me and a few friends in Korea, the United States and Japan, uh, for an accurate uh, reporting, uh, reports, uh, research about Asia as it is, uh, and to get Americans to understand uh, and to interact with uh, Asians, uh, we did science and technology, we did international relations and also culture because my background originally was in uh, Chinese and then Asian uh, literature, classical culture. Uh, and we, uh, most of it was in Korea, mainly in Seoul. Uh, we used to do four or five seminars a month, but we had a, we've had at different times based on funding uh, in, in Washington DC, in Tokyo, uh, in Bangkok and in Hanoi. Uh, basically now it's just Seoul and, and uh, Bangkok. Uh, and uh, we want to be, we wanted to be a think tank that actually thinks. <laughs> About Asia. <laughs> About Asia. I mean, I, I'm sorry to keep ha pounding that home, but that's, that's sort of like what I when I thought about this idea of running for president was to say, you know, not only is it sort of novel, the idea of having a political candidate uh, who knows Asia, but to say, this should be a condition, you know, you should not be allowed to run for office in the United States if you don't know three Asian languages uh, fluently, that this is the future of the United States. Impressive. Well, tell us about your books. I know uh, on your... Um uh, you talked about um, uh, you, you, I, I shall fear no evil and how to take down billionaires. Right. Why should why should we read them? And I, by the way, I have links to after we get finished, I will have links for his email, for Emmanuel's email, his personal blog, his campaign blog, his U.S. provisional government blog and also his books to download. So tell us about your two books. Right. So the, the, the first book, uh, Fear No Evil, uh, was, is a collection of, uh, I think, about 12 of my speeches that I gave when I declared uh, myself as candidate. So I was in Washington, D.C. Uh, in uh, February or January of 2020, and I saw what was happening in the United States uh, as the uh, uh, COVID-19 uh, project got rolling. Uh, and I thought, this is a catastrophe. Clearly, uh, both Biden and Trump were, I mean, I, I, I want to, I don't want to be respectful. I mean, they're, they're senior, uh, well-established sock puppets 
Um, but uh, I thought there's no future for the United States with this false choice. So, and I didn't have any future. I was, I was then unemployed, basically. All my work had been shut down. And so I said, I'm gonna just go forward, try and make a declaration, which is based on fact, uh, what, where the United States should be going and identifying the real threats and opportunities out there. And so that's a collection of my speeches. And I think it would be very interesting for you to see uh, what someone would write if they actually were giving us honest speech about what the United States is about, not pandering to their funders. And that was, mm -hmm. that was the whole point. I was cut off. No one's going to fund me. So I tried to make that into an advantage to say, no one's going to fund me, i.e. no one's going to tell me what to write. I can write what is really seriously going on. And the mm -hmm. second book, um, go ahead. Yeah, I'd say the, the other one, yeah, how to take down billionaires sounds really interesting because that's the root of all the all the world's problems right there. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, billionaires are a product of a corrupt, decadent system, uh, but they are easiest part to identify. I mean, the, the complicated question of how they got there is a little harder for people to understand. Uh, so I tried to get in a manual, sort of like uh, 11 steps, how you take them down and systematically. And I, and I basically said, if, if you haven't done the first, in the last chapter, I say, if you haven't done the first 10 steps, then you're not going to be able to take them down. You know, you can't just go to their houses and arrest them because you have to sy systematically establish an independent uh, system within the United States, an independent economy, independent thinking, independent organizations, which are not influenced by billionaires, multinational corporations, and of course, all these uh, parasitic uh, private intelligence firms that do their dirty work. Yeah, yeah. That's um, that's the $64,000 question is, you know, I call them the, uh, the trillionaire dictators and um, uh, in my in my writing, or the yeah. trillionaire, di the trillionaire dictatorship and they and they really, uh, uh, they they basically uh, own, own own planet Earth, um, although there are some countries that are much, much more independent uh, than other, others. But, um, yeah, it's I would like I would I would probably would like to you know read that book. And I, I see you have the download, the free download. So I'm going to go ahead and read that one for sure. And I've been talking to I'm supposed to interview a, a lady out in California who also she I just read her book how how to take down an empire. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Teresa uh, uh, Teresa Coraggio and and uh, so uh, there are there are some really good ideas out there and uh, and maybe after reading her book I can compare some notes uh, uh, with what you I'd propose. Like to learn from her. Yeah, yeah. I'll send you, I'll send you the link about her. We're trying to we're trying to schedule a, an interview. Excellent. So that's what so. So what what do we need to do to get the United States back on track? Right. Well, it's it's no simple question. And of course, the United States uh, is not really the United States anymore. On the one hand, we have all these uh, evil plans being hatched in the United States. But on the other hand, a lot of it is not about the United States at all anymore. We have this spider web uh, and uh, where all the assets, all these so-called American corporations are not American at all, right? They're based in the Bahamas or off seas 
or in the sort of shadowy land between the UK, the United States and Israel, uh, which doesn't really belong to any country, but you you shift around, you know, trillions of dollars in this in this what's called the spider net economy, the spider's web economy. Uh, and that's that's basically who's in charge, this shadow empire, which you can't really nail down. This is what we have in the quick case of Ukraine now and Israel. The money goes, it's going to Israel, it's going to Ukraine. It's not going to Israel and it's not going to Ukraine. It's going to this shadow empire, this spider web economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, I, I'm not a magician. I can't solve your problems for you, but I can maybe give some hints Working with other thoughtful people like Jeff or or Teresa uh, to uh, suggest a way forward. And I think the first is to uh, recognize the truth, right? Recognize where we are. Speak honestly about it with your friends and family. First with yourself, right? Uh, Recognize that we are ourselves as citizens of the United States. We're we're essentially the equivalent of um, incest victims or rape victims. Uh, we've been abused by institutions and people around us who we trusted in a way it's sexually abusive in a sense. We've been violated. And because the violation is so profound in the way it's in, impacted our own identity, we're unable to identify and to confront the reality of the abusive relationship we are in. And mm-hmm. as a result, we're unable, whether it's 9-11, COVID-19, Oklahoma, or any number of other incidents like this, I mean, basically it's right in front of your eyes. It doesn't require a PhD. You don't need to, you know, don't have to be an expert in engineering uh, to figure out what's going on. But we have to get over that, that trauma, which has crippled us. That's, I think, really number one. Uh, and once we have that, then it's not so hard to figure out how to create an independent uh, institutions and communities. But basically, I think it's gonna come down to this to get the United States back. Uh, first is we have to go back to being a Republic. This is how I'd like to be a Republican. I, I, I'm no longer a member of any party, uh, although I was a member of Democratic Party and the Republican Party in the course of my uh, earlier previous life, um, but basically Republican. So we're not an empire. Um, we we do need forms of global governance, but obviously this dark empire, shadow empire between the UK, Israel, and the United States has got to be conquered. And you're not going to be able to conquer it until you recognize that it exists. Make mm-hmm. the invisible visible. Yeah, there's um, um, there's this uh, black hole in the West in general, in the United States, of course, you know, Europe and and uh, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, uh, yes. uh, South Korea are unfortunately vassals uh, of the of the United States. And um, uh, but there's this black there's this black hole uh, that 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 we're not an empire. You know, no one wants to admit that we're an empire. And and of right. course, we're the we're the we're the most uh, the biggest and unfortunately the evilest empire that has ever existed. Uh, and we just simply took the baton from the Brits Fine. after World War II. They were the evilest empire in the early 19th century, early, early 20th century, and then back into colonialism and et cetera. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a hard nut to crack because no one, no one wants to, 
no one wants to admit it. And, 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 and that's almost, it's sort of like Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I, I'm an alcoholic. Well, that's true. I mean, Amer- Americans need to be able to say, I, I live in an empire. That would be a big step forward. Right. Well, that's, I totally agree. I mean, imperialism is a infectious disease. Uh, and we saw how it was passed on to the United States, as you mentioned. Of course, the whole process, uh, what, what's the, 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 the um, Quigley's book, uh, Sorrow and Hope, the, the, about the process by which uh, the United States was brought back into the empire. I mean, people, in some ways, for American audiences, I tend to emphasize the Constitution and Declaration of Independence, because although they're not perfect, they define what our country is. And mm-hmm. ultimately, it's going to come down to that, I, I feel. We're going to be confronting forces that are ready to you know, slaughter us, basically, and that are going to claim authority of government to do this to us. And in the bottom, at the end, I don't know, it's going to be six months or two years, we're going to have to say, no, you're not the government, right? This is the Constitution. This is the Declaration of Independence. It declares our independence from the empire, right? This free-floating, you know, shadow empire, which is the British mm-hmm. Empire. It still is the British Empire. We added the United States, added Israel and some other players and five eyes. And, and beyond that, I mean, it even includes pieces of, uh, of countries like uh, China that's supposed to be our rival, which have been absorbed into this global invisible empire. But we basically have to be able to stand up and say, no, we are the government. We're the legitimate ones because we follow the Constitution. We follow this independence from the empire. Yeah. You you mentioned this about China, and I'd like for you to explain it. You talk about the fact that the United States and China have a Frankenstein alliance and – uh, bad guys with the bad guys. And, and can you explain that and, and, and what you mean by that? Right. Well, I was recently in, in China for a month. I had a chance to speak with quite a few people. Uh, and uh, I, I saw there people are very aware of what's, what's going wrong in China, how the people in China are being assaulted. And they're also aware of what the role the United States or, I mean, this, this shadow empire, right? It's, I hate to say it's the United States because it's not really the United States anymore. It's like this cancer that's now taken over the a large part of the world. Uh, but the United States obviously played a big role in that. Um, but uh, clearly, large parts of China have been have controls. Uh, this shadow empire sees large chunks of China, and you see this in the uh, um, all the QR code. Uh, for entering buildings and the the efforts to control people so uh, uh, and to limit their interactions, their ability to travel. It's been really extremely sad to see all these Chinese unable to go see their their families. Even neighboring cities have have had their transportation interrupted. These lockdowns have been enforced. Um, but the question is, what is really going on? And based on what I've seen and what people have said to me uh, off the record, it seems pretty clear that what we're looking at with the sort of new Cold War is basically an effort to hide this. um, It's sort of like 
a stop thief type thing. They basically large American multinationals and billionaires, which I sometimes like to separate from multinational corporations because they're not always the same thing, um, use their private intelligence firms um, to penetrate China. China was already, you know, attacked by Walmart and Goldman Sachs and a whole, you know, uh, Blackstone, a whole bunch of private equity, especially from Shanghai out. Uh, and they've taken over parts of production and manufacturing. And I think the, uh, the government of China is no longer fully able to control these attempts to create a colonized economy. This, I mean, of course, this is what happened at the end of the Qing dynasty as well. That was the same strategy. And I, I say this in my, in my article, uh, uh, The Third Opium War, which I make an analogy between what's going on in China now, this, this rabid attack by multinationals in China, and then blaming the victim, of course. It's classic. It's a classic strategy, right? You rape uh, China, and then you say, oh, well, it was the Chinese who did this to us, right? They made up COVID-19. It's their Chinese totalitarianism which is being imposed on the world. Uh, but that's very similar to what happened in the 18, from the 1840s on, where uh, British then, multinationals, pushed opium as a drug. They got tried to get people addicted to it. They said it was a cure-all, you know, cures stomach aches, basically everything that was wrong with you. And they put it in different uh, formats to sell to people. They tried to get them addicted. They seduced and uh, made deals with local gentry to get them over on their side. And they slowly took pieces of the Chinese economy and local government over and put them under British control or through British agents uh, from the 1840s on. Uh, culminating, well, there's several things. First, the Taiping Rebellion, which was to some degree a setup, although it eventually span out of, of the control of the British. Um, and then, of course, you've got the, the, the neo-colonial conquest of China. But it's, it's a similar pattern. It's gone up a stage. It involves now, of course, a large number of very corrupt Chinese operatives who are involved in this, making a lot of money. And of course, now it's in the United States as well. I mean, Americans are being victimized as well in the same way, sometimes following the same game plan. Uh, and as I suggested in my article, if you want to look for the, the precedence for what's being done in China today, and it's really sad, uh, the suffering that, that ordinary people uh, are, are subject to, there really are two precedents. Nothing in Mao Zedong's writing, nothing in Leninism it, it, it explains anything going on. It can be explained, one, in, in the case of the uh, Boston um, uh, shooting, uh, the uh, um, Patriots Day uh, run is, is 20, I can't remember, 20, 2017, or when they had this shooting uh, in Boston, and then the entire city of Boston was locked down. Oh, yeah, locked down, right. and they went so in, in, that in was, houses. So that is the precedent for what's being done to uh, Chinese cities. Nothing that ever happened under the, under the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, and the second precedent is what's being done in the West Bank and Gaza, right, uh, by the Israeli government, which is all the stuff I saw. I mean, and I'm not, I'm no expert. I mean, I, I, no one showed me any classified documents, but I saw what was happening in China. I said, this is based upon what's being done in Israel. And my guess is that the same fucking firm, excuse me, my language, the same firm, 
the you, same you, private you, intelligence you firms, <laughs> the same private intelligence firms who are who are who are who are doing the QR coding and the and the contact tracing in Gaza are the same people who are doing it in Shanghai and Beijing now. Uh, that's my guess, my educated guess. Okay, that's interesting. Well. Luckily for the Chinese, uh, if, if what you're saying is true, uh, at least the Chinese, um, you know, have a, a a vanguard party, the the Communist Party of China, and if they stay true to their to their mission, they will be able to uh, overcome this. And I and uh, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating theory. Of course, now. Much to my surprise, they removed all of the they removed all of the COVID uh, restrictions. But I've got I've got I've known many Chinese who are now very very worried about even going outside, even though there are no no restrictions. I know people are not going to be right, traveling, that, not going to be traveling during uh, during Chinese New Year because they're worried right. about variants. And I do and I and I do have to say I think. The government does know that they were bioweapon attacked by the United States, uh, so they're 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 more sensitive to it than, for example, Italy or France or right. or Canada or wherever. Because uh, in the, in China, it's it's uh, they 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 know bioweapons better than anybody in the world. So, uh, but I hope if what you're saying is true, that 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 I'm sure the government the government must be. Uh, aware of it, and that may be one of the reasons that they stopped all of the COVID measures was to right. was to was to was to was to pull the rug out from under these group these people who had gotten into the into into the into the into into the um, into the running of of the uh, of the country. So we'll have to see what happens. It's it's pretty interesting. Well, maybe I could say a word about the 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 Chinese Communist Party in that respect. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, obviously, Chinese Communist Party is an enormous organization. Uh, there are corrupt sections of it who have sold out to the uh, this global uh, uh, shadow empire. Uh, but there are other parts who are very bravely fighting uh, against it. Uh, and if you walk around the city, like in Shanghai, you'll see these posters up, which basically tell people how to live a healthy life. They encourage you know, really decent values. And then you see these multinational corporations of all their consumer narcissism. And it's like a, it's sort of like a battle going on in China between uh, those uh, who are trying mm -hmm. to uphold uh, a more decent um, life and those promoting this commercial consumerism. Yeah. Um, I, I, and I'd also say one of the things we run into all the time in the United States is people say, oh, well, uh, the, the government is the Communist Party. Um, but actually, this is a much healthier situation in the United States, in which we are run by the Republicans and Democrats and corporations, which not a word about them in the Constitution. So we have a Constitution doesn't say Democrat or Republican anywhere, but the laws are made and implemented by these criminal syndicates, which are not described. So at least China has a government, right? The United mm -hmm. States doesn't really have a government. It's run by political parties which are pay to play to multinational corporations and investment banks. And it's a it's a terrible system. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree. Well, we'll see what happens. I I tend to have faith in China. China. I 
you know, their Confucian, Taoist, Buddhist roots, you know, going back to, you know, three, two and a half thousand years and uh, ethic, ethical governance instead of moral governance. And uh, I, 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 I just listened to <laughs> I just listened to the audio books of the first volume of uh, Xi Jinping's uh, Xi Jinping on the governance of China, right. volume one. And I listened to it as an audio book while I was swimming. <laughs> Excellent. And, and, um, and I must say, after listening to that, you know, I said, I said, you know what? I think China's going to be okay. I think that there, that there is, there is the, the attitude, the, the you know, work hard, um, don't waste time. Um, seek truth from facts. Right. Uh, get down to work. Uh, get busy. I, you know, I think they have a much, much better chance of surviving and thriving in the um, 21st century than the West does, which is individual. You know, Marlboro Man individualism, hedonist, right. <clears throat> hedonist, and, and disgusting. And, yeah, disgusting. very, very. You know, all these, all this identity politics and. Right confrontation you know it's just our democracy is so confrontational there's no cooperation uh and uh, even even poor even poor franklin delano roosevelt you know had had to had to fight like crazy just to just to just to, just to help win you know world war Two. i mean it right. was just he, he had he had people fighting against him All during right. his entire during his entire tenure so um anyway we'll see what happens and um uh, when were you in China? Just, I'm just curious. Uh, it was in October, the month of October, basically. Oh, so you just, oh, really? So just about three months ago, three or four yeah. months ago. Okay. And so I, I wrote about in my article, you know, the third opium war, mm-hmm. uh, in some detail about what I saw and how I interpreted it. Uh, but I mean, it is, it is a war. I mean, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't underestimate the severity for many Chinese. Uh, and I, I wanted to, to, uh, respond that I also, I, I've seen, for example, the speeches given by Chinese politicians. I mean, Chinese politicians are, evil, are, are allowed to and even encouraged to give speeches for an hour. I mean, basically the way Frederick Douglass or, you know, Lincoln did in the old days, actually talk about policy and link it to a philosophical goal for the nation. Mm-hmm. I mean, in America, totally impossible. You can't speak for more than three minutes. I mean, basically, and, they, and it's all these platitudes, no policy. I mean, basically, uh, American newspapers don't report policy. They report, you know, fluffy garbage. Uh, And so you can't really figure out how America, I mean, I have some idea of how America works, but I had to work at it. I mean, it it certainly wasn't given to me by by Bezos, Washington Post. So you're very active on Substack. I subscribe to your Substack channel. So uh, and me uh, thank too. you. I subscribe to yours. And uh, so you know how you know obviously we can see how you you know, were a professor of classical Asian literature, and now you're you know a journalistic writer and a public speaker. What are you What are you working on now? You told me you're leaving next on the twentieth or something to go to to go so to I'll, Korea. I'm going to be in Japan for a month. Okay. Uh, I'll be in Korea, and uh, I probably will come back to D.C. But uh, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm I'm debating this. Like, where's the best place to be at this moment to be effective? I mean, Washington D.C. Um, there are 
So I know how pessimistic you are, Jeff, about Washington, D.C., but I would like to say that there are some very brave people here who really are trying, even against tremendous odds. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's so hard in America because there's this deep sort of decadent culture and this deep trauma. I mean, I think basically it was there like these blows, Oklahoma, 9-11, uh, and there's some others, you know, Iraq war, COVID-19. In each one of these profound violations in which people in government, in industry, in academics were forced to repeat things that they knew were, were fraudulent and untrue. It just damaged the psyche in America. It, it ripped the sort of the fabric of our culture and civilization apart. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, we still haven't recovered. Uh, and that's why I think and it's, of course, also linked to this issue of sort of the West and East, as you suggested, you know, the, the potential and Americans see this, the potential in Confucianism for ethical governance, for a commitment of intellectuals to society and to a government that really is a government, not a, uh, you know, uh, uh, false flag operation or a, uh, a, mm-hmm. a criminal syndicate uh, the I, Confucian and then Buddhist ideas about being at peace with oneself, self-awareness, Taoist ideas, which I could go on at great length, but I've been very inspired by all of them because I studied classical literature. I mean, I took classes with, you know, Dewey Ming at at, at Harvard. Uh, So it it, it offers tremendous opportunities in the United States. And finally, I would say it allows us to understand ourselves because the Constitution, right, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that founded the United States – was based upon this idea that you could establish a meritocracy or a, you know, a, well, actually it's not really meritocracy, it's based upon wisdom, but it's a munocracy. I can't remember the term anymore, but uh, based, let's say meritocracy, even though I don't really like the word very much. And so in opposition to what you had in Europe, which was monarchy or the Catholic church, that was your only choices. So what inspired this? Well, you could say it was Greek thought or whatever, but a large piece of it, and this is clear from the writings of people like Benjamin Franklin and, of course, uh, people in, in, in France and, and in Germany from the, in the 18th century, was the Confucian model, right? Uh, examination system, promotion based upon virtue and ability. This, this was the model, which was, I mean, as you know, in France, right before the French Revolution, there was an explosion of interest in Chinese culture. So our American system was, to some degree, based upon Chinese Confucian ideas. And in the case of Britain, the first civil service exams in the 1870s, it says explicitly that it's modeled upon the Qing Dynasty's system for promotion within government, i.e. a functional government, not a monarchy, not based upon titles or aristocracy, and not based upon the church. Based on ability and accountability. That's, and that's something that's just uh, does, doesn't seem to exist in, in Western governance um, anymore. Uh, ability and, and accountability, there is none. I mean, Fauci was uh, Anthony Fauci, America, America's doctor, sat there for seven hours and lied through his front teeth for seven hours uh, to the House of Representatives to, to, to a committee. There, nothing will happen. He'll, he'll nothing will happen. He'll still get his stock options with Moderna and 
and right, so we, uh, Pfizer go, and everybody else. Let's go back to our, our Eastern roots. I mean, I guess that's what I would say, you know, say mm -hmm. the, the breaking away from the idea. I mean, basically the Middle Ages uh, was all dominated by this idea, either the monarchy or the Catholic Church or the church. Uh, and this idea that you could have another way, right, based upon virtue and knowledge, this was really profoundly influenced uh, by China, uh, by the Confucian tradition. Um, mm -hmm. To some degree, it was influenced by the Ottoman uh, administrative system, uh, which was indirectly uh, um, referenced. Uh, but it was the, the influence of, of Asia was great. And so in the great sort of clash of civilizations, term I hate, but uh, I would say, you know, the Western civilization, it had a good run. There's some good stuff in there. I wouldn't say, you know, trash it. We can save some pieces. But basically, the gangrene is just too deep. It cannot really be really saved. Uh, and uh, we have to look uh, to the great traditions of Asia to something sort of fresh blood to revitalize this corpse. Yeah, well, I um, I think you're I think you I've, you're obviously inspired and you're obviously uh, well uh, experienced and well informed, and uh, you offer a unique vision uh, for uh, Americans. And uh, I will definitely read I will definitely read your book, uh, How to Take Down the Billionaires, and I'll send you Teresa Caraggio's information. Uh, she was a really interesting book. Uh, uh, how she, how you know, how 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 to do what you were talking about is right. how right. how to get how to how to get around these trillionaire trillionaire dictators and right. and um, I uh, I admire what you're doing I th I I encourage you to keep after it and I will uh, be uh, anxious to hear how things develop uh, for you and um, and keep writing on Substack and. And uh, and uh, I'm 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 really impressed. I mean, I learned uh, I in my in my in my in my life I learned Latin, Portuguese, uh, Arabic, French, and Chinese. But I, <laughs> but I'm I'm very impressed that you've learned Chinese, Japanese, and Korean. That's pretty impressive. That's pretty impressive. So. Um, and uh, you know three non three non you know uh, non you know Latin based uh, alphabetic languages. So it's pre pretty impressive. So uh, well, listen, Emmanuel, this has been this has been really really fascinating. I'm anxious to get this uh, uh, posted and and uh, share share your um, share your story. Uh, have a safe trip to Japan. I will. Uh, Thank I'm, you. I'm, I'm trying to get back to China. Uh, after Chinese New Year, uh, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to get back in. My wife and I had a company, a little tutoring school there in Shenzhen. Oh, really? So I'm going to try to use I'm going to try to use Professor Brown, Professor Brown's school to try to get back in. I don't think they're accepting tourist visas. It has to be a business visa. I was going I was I'm going to ask my I'm going to ask our CPA to. Uh, you know, send us an invitation letter. Right. Uh, and hopefully I'll get to go in uh, in March after, after, well, maybe late February, early March and, um, and uh, take care of some business there. So uh, anyway, keep after it. Keep going. Absolutely. Keep fighting. Don't let the bastards get you down. And um, I'm uh, really, really happy to get to get to meet Absolutely. you uh, face to face as, as it were. Yes. 
makes a difference. You, um, you, you in Maryland and me in, uh, in, in France. So, um, any last, any last uh, comments before we sign out? Um, I really do appreciate the opportunity. Um, and uh, I hope we'll continue to work together. I, I would say, especially for, for Americans, uh, that the, this new Cold War you know, paradigm, this, this uh, confrontation with China, uh, it's all, it's basically made up. It's a, it's a sort of false flag operation to keep you from seeing what's really going on. And it derives directly from the yellow peril campaigns of the, from the 1840s on. And yellow peril was basically came down to this. When they discovered that the Chinese civilization was a at least equal, if not more sophisticated than anything in the West, then they wanted to stop it because they knew that once people realize that this system is of, of, of administration, of governance, of education is so sophisticated and survived for so long, so effectively, uh, they didn't want this option to be on the table. And, that, and now I think it's happening too. I see all over America, people interested in, in Japanese Buddhism, Chinese philosophy, you know, uh, Korean uh, food, et cetera. And the shift has already started, but the, the, those, those forces of the Western tradition are just fighting tooth and nail to keep us from realizing the potential over there. Mm-hmm. Emmanuel, thank you very much, and um, let's let's say goodbye, and then I can go ahead and start.